Welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And this morning, we're going to be talking about radical obedience. with doing something that you just don't want to do, it stinks, am I right? Maybe you can relate. My motivation has taken a hit these past 18 months. It takes some substantial arm wrestling to do the things that I know I should do, but I just don't want to do. It's a friction point in my life. It's a friction point when I don't want to do laundry, but I need clean clothes to wear when I don't want to cook, but I'm hungry. These are the friction points of life when we are stuck between the things that we know we should do, but we just don't want to. These are the moments where our lack of desire and our responsibility meet. They're the friction points. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Well, we are going to pick up from where we left off last week with Jesus, who's full of compassion, who's stepped into the grief of the moment. And he's now standing in front of this tomb where his friend Lazarus is laying dead inside. And he's moved by the grief of his friends. He's entered their story and he's about to do something absolutely incredible. But first, he's going to ask some really big things of the people standing around him. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 11, verses 33 to 57. John 11, 33 to 57. And if you don't have a Bible, you can get one right now. Just head on over to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, myevangel.church forward slash Bible. And there are some links right there to app stores you can get on your phone or your smart device, as well as a form. If you live in Powell River, we would love to get a paper Bible as our gift to you. So John 11, 33 to 57. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had, see, had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, 
named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. And when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus as they stood in the temple courts. They asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you again for this story where we see you enter into the reality of, of discouragement and despair and grief. But we also thank you for this moment where you're going to be victorious, where we're going to see a miracle unlike any where you take what was impossibly impossible and you invite people to participate in what you're about to do. And so would you just speak faith into our hearts? Would you speak courage this morning? And God, would your words go forth? Would you allow those that are just my own just to float away? Would we hear you this morning in your precious name? Amen. Well, let's recap the scene from last week. So Jesus was away and a messenger comes uh, with a note from Martha and Mary to let him know that his dear friend Lazarus is sick to the point of death. And Jesus, knowing very much what was going to happen, he's not caught off guard here. He doesn't rush back to where Lazarus is. He stays where he is ministering for another two days and then he goes home to Lazarus's home. And when he gets there, he enters this scene of grief and despair as Lazarus's sisters, Martha and Mary, are grieving their brother. He enters their despair and he shoulders their pain. And we see this beautiful moment where, where Jesus weeps with them. He's overcome. He feels their weakness. He feels their pain. But something else amazing happens. We see Jesus get angry. And the uh, version that I read says deeply troubled, but maybe a better translation would be angry. This is the same anger that we saw when Jesus cleared out the temples, when he drove the tax collectors and the merchants out of the temple. That same kind of anger is on display right here in John 11. Jesus is filled with this righteous fury at death and the grave. And that can seem a little odd just on the surface level, but we have to remember that this wasn't supposed to be how humanity's stories ended. Death wasn't supposed to be part of our story. Death entered the the story, it entered the scene when sin did. When Adam and Eve chose to believe in a lie and sin entered and separated us in relationship from God and we were driven out of Eden. And so death wasn't supposed to be part of our story. This is not um, like a natural occurring thing. It is now in our fallen world. 
but death is foreign. Death is the enemy. And so Jesus, like an enraged warrior, steps forth full of this righteous anger at death in the grave. And his compassion, I love this, his compassion leads him to this righteous anger as he's looking at the broken hearts of the creation that he so loves. And we know that Jesus' compassion and his righteousness always spur him to action. And so he doesn't just sit and grieve with the family. He gets up as this enraged warrior, victorious. And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take the stone away, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? There's both this obvious, like overt thing happening here. And then there's a little bit of a subtle nuance to what's happening here. So we can understand Martha's concern. And I would have loved to be there. I would have loved to hear her say, but Lord, by this time, there's a bad odor. He's been there for four days. Like, I want to know, did Jesus catch her off guard? And like out loud and just as a, what? She responds with this very loud, very vocal, uh, no, Lord, um, you don't understand that this body is decaying and it stinks. Or was it like a, Jesus, can you come with me for a moment and kind of like a subtle, um, hey, so like you were away when the messenger came and so just so you know, it's been about four days, like, we're not new in death. The odor is going to have been building up in this tomb for the past four days. Maybe we don't want to do that. I would love to have been a fly on the wall right here in the middle of this moment. This is obvious. We can understand her concern and hesitancy. She doesn't want to remove the cork with all of the odors and the smells that are sitting within that tomb. As soon as they roll that, that stone away, it is all going to start permeating the area where they are standing. But there's a more nuanced power play that's happening right here. So again, I said that there's this overt, obvious moment. We understand that. But there's this more subtle, nuanced thing too. See, in Jewish culture, there was this belief that for the first few days after death, the soul would kind of hover and stay near the recently deceased. Now, this is not truth, but this is what was popular belief at the moment. Therefore, resurrection would be easy because the soul would be near and it could just re-enter the corpse. And resurrection wasn't something that was new in Jewish history. We saw it throughout the Old Testament with different prophets and, and Jesus resurrected people multiple times in his ministry. But by this point, four days in, the body would have been so deteriorate, deteriorated that the soul would have left the body. It wouldn't have um, recognized it anymore because the decay would be so great that around day four, they believed that the soul would depart and that would make resurrection completely impossible. And so if Jesus had come sooner, perhaps a resurrection would be possible. 
But now at day four, Jesus, this is impossible. That's why it's so incredible that Jesus makes the statement just a few verses before that he's the resurrection and the life. And he's going to make this incredible statement right now. He's doing the impossibly impossible. Like you thought that just resurrecting the dead was impossible. But this is day four death. This is day four death where the soul isn't anywhere near. This is impossibly impossible. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Let's clear the way for me to be revealed in this story. But his power is at this friction point with Martha's grief and Martha's practicality. She's clinging to what she sees even as Jesus pushes her to a faith of action. She's holding tight to reason and to logic and to what she's been told over her entire lifetime is reality. And she's using that to politely decline Jesus's request for her obedience. And we've all been there. We've all been to the point where we rationalize away the call to obedience. But Jesus, you just don't understand this piece. Jesus, maybe you overlooked that one thing. I know what you're asking of me, but your request, it's impossibly impossible. Your request, it's at a friction point with my reality. And Jesus answers her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And I can just hear the tenderness in his voice. Martha, don't you see? Your hesitation, the, the obstacles that you're bringing forth to my attention, they're the perfect backdrop for what I'm about to do. Martha, don't you see? This is the moment. This is the moment when I'm going to do something that's so impossibly impossible, something that's so incredible that no one can doubt who I am. Let's roll that stone away. And those pr friction points that we find in our own lives, they're the perfect backdrop to what God is about to do. Those places where God's whispering for your obedience and, and your fear is pushing back or your doubts are pushing back or the things that you see as reality, they're pushing back. That's the moment God's waiting for when he's about to do something impossibly impossible where he can receive all the glory because there was no way that it could happen without him. Roll the stone away. And so they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I love how the message words this. Then he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, a cadaver, wrapped from head to toe and with a kerchief over his face. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him loose. Like, honestly, Jesus, wasn't rolling the stone away enough? Wasn't facing the odors and the reality of death enough? Like removing that cork so that all of the reality of death and decay could permeate the atmosphere outside of that tomb? <clears throat> Wasn't that enough? Now you want me to touch him? Now you want me to touch death? 
He asks for radical obedience. Jesus invites them to participate in this miracle, to go against what I'm sure that their entire beings, especially their nose, were screaming at them saying, no, don't go near, no, stay away. He was inviting them to move from death and despair to life and hope, to be part of the miracle of resurrection and life. That's who Jesus is. He is the resurrection and he is the life. And when we choose to be alive in Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him, not only does he resurrect us and bring us from death to life, but he invites us to be participants in moments of life and hope. Moments when he's going to speak to those dead in sin, dead in circumstances, trapped in despair. And he's going to call to us, roll away the gravestones, unwrap the grave clothes. And he's going to invite us to be participants as he speaks life and hope to death and despair. And he does it over and over and over again because that's who he is. He is life. And we're going to have those friction points where Jesus is calling us to obedience and those are the opportunities that we have to participate in the miracle of what God alone can do. All of those natural uh, hesitancies and obstacles and arguments, now they're, they're looking at it from our own humanity of going, God, I can't. I can't. But the friction point is when we come to the reality where our humanity fails his divinity does not. His divinity does not. Roll away the stone. Unwrap the grave clothes. We get to the friction points. Lean into who God is. But despite the miracle that was witnessed, friction points don't always work how we want them to. In some cases, friction can smooth. Think of a rock that's been rolling around in the waves and the sand. It goes in with its rough edges and it comes out smooth and polished and it's something of beauty. But friction points can also work the other way. They can fray and destroy like a rope that's caught on a friction point on a ledge. And over time, that friction point eventually breaks the rope in two. And we see that in this story Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. For some, the friction point of being participants of what Jesus asked them to do led them to faith. And they chose Jesus and it deepened their faith. That's what obedience can do. It deepens our faith as we have to depend fully on who God is. But for some, the friction point led them to the Pharisees. You know, coming, to face, coming face to face with Jesus, it's divisive. Coming face to face with his power, it's divisive. There will always be those who choose to bow their knee and surrender. And there will be those who choose to walk away. And for us, when Jesus calls for our obedience, we need to check our motivation. 
because saying yes to Jesus will be divisive. You know, I'm sure that there were those who were excited just to participate in what Jesus was doing. They could be part of the story. They could say that they were there, hands on in the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, only to find out later that a bounty would be placed on Jesus's head because of this. I'm sure their incredible story of obedience fell flat in the face of the outrage of their religious leaders. Why do we obey? Do we obey so that we can have a great story to tell and, and we can you know, get the applause of men and we can have this incredible moment? We can look back on our lives and go, wow. Well, coming face to face with the miracles of Jesus is divisive. And if we obey for the sake of finding ourselves applauded, we're going to wind up discouraged. But if we obey for the sake of following our Lord, if we obey for obedience sake for no other reason, but that we want to follow step in step with our Lord and Savior, we're going to find our faith deepened. We're going to find our obstacles becoming less and less, our hesitancy and our doubt getting quieter and quieter as we lean in to faith and obedience. When we obey out of a trust in our Lord, we're eager to follow the voice of our shepherd because we know that he is the resurrection and the life. The one who, even at this friction point, was setting in motion not just a victory over one grave, but a victory over death itself. Bruce Milne writes, in that very triumph, however, lie the seeds of the coming defeat. Defeat in quotations. For the raising of Lazarus from the dead is the final provocation of Jesus' enemies and the sealing of his own death at their hands. But in that too, in that above all, will the Father's purpose find fulfillment and the Son bring the supreme glory to the Father by finishing the work he has been given to do. This moment was part of a greater plan. This moment was a foreshadowing of a greater resurrection. And, and this call to obedience was more than a single act on a single day. It was a revelation of where their hearts were. At this friction point, where would they lean? To their own doubts and hesitancies, to their own rationale and, and arguments? Or would they lean into faith and trust. And when we find ourselves at the war with the friction points in our lives and we're, we're hesitant to follow into radical obedience for whatever reason, I pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us once again the great I am, the one who is life. And I pray that we would be reminded of this story when Jesus used the impossibly impossible as the backdrop to reveal himself to those who were there on that day and through the retelling of this moment in his word to us now. I pray that we would be ones who would answer a call of obedience with a, here I am, Lord, send me.
So God, I pray this morning that you would reveal our hearts to us. That you would reveal our motivations. That you would reveal our fears and doubts and hesitancies. God, I thank you that you invite us to be participants in what you're doing in the world around us. That you invite us to participate in you being a God of life. When you call, would you help us to step into faith and trust and to answer with a yes, I'll follow. Yes, here I am, send me. Yes, where you lead. And when we are at those friction points, would you reveal yourself to us once again that we could lean into faith for you never fail and you are the unchanging one and we want to go where you go we love you in your precious name amen well we have evangel academy coming up of our second uh kind of class of our hermeneutics series. If you missed the first one, don't worry. Uh, we're going to have a video that will get you all caught up. And even if it doesn't happen before November 2nd, we would love to have you at Evangel Academy. It's more of a concentrated and a little bit more of a formal learning style around God's word. And hermeneutics is just a study of how to study scripture. And so we want to invite you to that on Tuesday, November 2nd from 6 o'clock to 7.30. We hope to see you there. And then finally, if you want to give to the everyday work that Evangel does here in our community or uh, even in our region and around the world, we would love for you to do that. And, and giving in a biblical sense is both an expression of our gratitude for what Jesus has done for us and a step in obedience of listening to the words that he has asked us to do as well. So if you want to give, you can go to myevangel.church forward slash give and it will give you all the ways that you can do that here today. Well, thanks friends so much for joining us and we will see you again next week.